successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Get out of Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show here at 980 AM KMBZ. I appreciate you joining me today on the radio or via podcast on iTunes. Also, you can find us at GrillNationShow.com. You connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Also, searchable via social media. Just search for Jason Grill. Exciting show today. It's great to have you back with us for another exciting edition. I believe it's 177 of the Grill Nation Show. I want to thank our partners and supporters of the show before we get to our first guest today. Title sponsors of the show are Trust, MoBank, BOCO Financial, and two West Advisors and Ryan Rink. Contributors of the Grill Nation show include the Rieger and Jay Rieger and Co. Ryan Maybe is a guest host and honor contributor. Cancieri Development Council, KCADC, and Brian Sarf with True Wealth and Company, who's a guest host and on-air contributor. Our first guest today, I uh, wanted to get through the introduction here quick because we only have two seconds with him today, is uh, Stuart Ludlow, who is the who is with a company called RFP365. Uh, Stuart, I'm going to make sure I get your title correct. You're the co-founder and lead engineer. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I think that you can throw president. Oh, president. Uh, too, you okay. can throw CTO and or janitor also. You got it all, man. On that title. So Stuart, um, his company is RFP365. It's online at RFP365.com. Stuart and I uh, met uh, a while back, I think, when uh, Startup Village kind of started. Is that where we met? <clears throat> yeah, I think it was like 2012 yeah. when the hype around the village and Google Fiber coming to town was, was really You were one of the first people over there. We were like the second house yeah. in the Startup Village. Amazing. And then we uh, we randomly saw each other again on a flight from Los Angeles to Kansas City after the Chiefs, home, uh, Chiefs uh, opener uh, where they played the Los Angeles Chargers in L.A. Sat next to each other. We were in the first class aisle of Southwest. Which is the first row? Yeah, I'd never have sat there. You you seem to be a pro at that. I, no, I wouldn't have unless you grabbed me and said, "Hey, Stu, like, uh, there's this open seat and it's uh, late night flight getting back to KC. Let's just sit down and chat." Oh man, I was I had a few beers too. It was a lot of fun. I had a couple myself. <laughs> so we started talking. We thought, "Hey, let's have you on the radio show because." Yeah. You've been at it now for a while with this company. Um, looks like everything's going well. But first off, before we get to that, let's talk about your background. Yeah. I know you went to Mizzou. Um, are you from Kansas City? I am. I'm from Kansas City, all different parts. From uh, Born in Leawood, moved to Olathe, then moved up to Liberty. So really, Liberty is what I consider home. And then you went to Mizzou and uh, got a great degree there. Yep. I'm a civil engineer from Mizzou. Never practiced uh, a day of civil engineering in my life. My Senior year, or junior and senior year, I worked for a professor named Dr. Barker, and uh, he was doing some research, and during that research, I was doing a lot of software for him. Mm-hmm. And so, I was doing software around engineering, and I think the software just took a hold. It was a lot more quantifiable for me than you the liked engineering it. And that was. was uh, 
Yeah. It was early 2000s, right? And then I you graduated in 98. 98, okay. Yeah. I was 2001, so we're around the same age. Yeah. You went off and started working uh, as a consultant and then uh, also at VML at some point as a software uh-huh. developer, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look back, so yeah, I stuck in the software world. And then even when VML, I think I was employee 126 at VML. Wow. And so are the, the technical side, there were five developers. And I mean, now there are... Was John Cook there know. when you were there? John Cook was an account manager okay. over there, or head of account management, something, yes. <laughs> so a lot of the leadership over there, we all were all working in around. the trenches, yes. And then you uh, you started, uh, did you start your own company after yep. that? So right from there. That's um, pretty young. You're probably only like yeah, two years out of school. I was, um, this was 2004, mm-hmm. so 2003, I think. And so over at VML, we'd gotten really specific in a certain type of software, and me and two guys just... I think out of sheer naivete, just decided to start our own software consulting company in this little software. Well, it was really a big software platform called Vignette. And that uh, was where I kind of started doing my own thing and realizing that I could make my own company and I could make my own money and have a good living doing it Mm -hmm. and have a little more flexibility. And that company took me all over the world. Really? I went and worked in India for seven and a half months, um, a couple different times. I worked in London, worked in Edinburgh. Um, and all over the U.S. in about twenty different you uh, were, cities. You were um, fairly young then at the time. Yeah, I was really young. Um, it was a great thing to do whenever I was young and single. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, got married. And after my did you meet your wife here, or did you meet her in? We London worked at or my something? first first job over at uh, back in the day. It was Anderson Consulting. Now mm-hmm. it's Accenture. Okay. Um, we met over there, and then when we got married and had a kid, I knew that the every week travel lifestyle was was not going to work anymore. So I was at that point trying to figure out, well, how can I still have my own company and do things, but not, not travel Monday to Friday. Right. And so that's when the, 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 my second company, which was, was called Coco, Coco software. Coco software was the, the holding company. I'm just the looking at your LinkedIn. Was, yeah, I, I maybe should have brought your professional was, bio today. <laughs> was IFTA plus and IFTA plus still exists. IFTA is the international fuel tax agreement. It was like turbo tax for truckers. Okay. And I built that software company up over a few years and then sold that off uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, It came as a consulting project that we were going to do, that they had their funding backed out, and we liked the idea and just said, let's just build it and we'll own it. And so, if the plus, so it was a quarterly fuel tax preparation site for the trucking industry. That's it. 9,500 companies managed over 3.2 billion miles. That was when I sold it. It's probably double that by now. So (laughs) it was big. What was that process like for you? As a young um, entrepreneur, you're still pretty young at that point. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the only thing I knew was software. And so it taught me a little bit more in the idea of like um, the fact that when you build software, it's easy. And then whenever people use it, it's hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. you have, you know, we have 10,000 different companies using it. Yeah. So they want to call, they want to talk to someone, they want issues happen. Um, and so that, the process of building a company has nothing to do with software anymore. The process of building a company has everything to customer do with customer service, customer service and support, um, marketing sales operations. That is what that first company really kind of taught me, which, and then I parlayed that over to where we are now, which is RFP 365, which is that, um, we're, we're about a hundred times the size of that company when I sold it right now. And so just the, 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 the difference of scale is, is just vastly different. We'll get into that after the break on our yeah. next segment. I want to get into kind of your business, RFP 365. It's right. a software platform. Um, what was the process like when you actually had to sell IFTA Plus or Cocoa Software, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Um, I know 
that's always tedious trying um, to find a valuation for something like that. And that just happened in 2015. Right. That wasn't that long ago. And it, it probably is a less of a traditional sales process of the company than most software companies. Um, I sold it. I explicitly did not want to sell it to anyone in town because I was afraid if something went wrong with it, then I'd have to face them. You have to see them. I have to see them somewhere. <laughs> Kansas City is way too small of a city. Yeah, it is. Um, and so eventually, I sold it to someone in town. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. I did. Yeah, who I had had a relationship with for a while. Um, and how'd that start? Did was he interested or she interested, or did you just? Reject so I sold him? it to a guy named Jason Reed, who okay. used to have uh, Trelly with Claude Aldrich. Um, I knew him around town. Um, he'd been at a lot. Of He's been on this radio show. Yeah, they probably both have at some point, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And so um, he was uh, Trelly didn't really was kind of winding down and he was looking for something to kind of pick up. And so he really liked the idea of it. Um, it's still rocking. And he rolling. liked the fact that it was pretty stable and it was just growing and something that he could manage himself. And so, yeah, I sold it to Jason. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Stuart Ludlow is our guest. Uh, Stuart, after the break, let's talk about RFP 365, how you, why you came up with this idea, why you did it and how it's growing here uh, locally and on a national level. You're listening to the Grill Nation show here on 980 AM. Also, I appreciate you joining me today via iTunes on podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. Appreciate you joining me today again on 980 AM and on iTunes if you're listening via podcast or if you're at grillnationshow.com listening to our show. And you can find all of our shows on that website as well as photos of our guests and our supporter and sponsor information. Stuart Ludlow is my guest. He's the founder uh, and he's one of the lead engineers. He's also the president of RFP 365. It's an intelligent RFP software platform that manages the entire request for proposal lifecycle. RFP 365 can benefit those issuing RFPs as well as those responding to RFPs. Uh, Stuart is an entrepreneur here in Kansas City, went to Mizzou, uh, went through the Kauffman School, uh, Kauffman Fast Track Program, Kauffman Foundation, and uh, has been involved in the startup culture here in Kansas City for quite a while. Sold some businesses as well and has some successful exits to his record. Sir, so welcome back to the show. Um, okay, you sold this one business, but that overlapped with RFP 365, did it not? And, and where did this all happen, and how did this come about? I know you have a co-founder as well. Yeah, uh, Dave Holson is my co-founder, and Dave and I went to school together. He was also best man in my wedding. Ooh. <clears throat> right, so we've been really close. That's kind of crazy to start a business with the best man in your wedding. Yeah, I Could mean. turn bad. Looking throughout the, my, my, my previous ones, uh, Two of them were really bad, and one of them was really good in terms of relationships with co-founders. Mm-hmm. And so I told Dave early on that was I was like, you know, as soon as this it affects, we need to split this off quick. If this affects our friendship, and over the last almost six years, it hasn't. It's hasn't been, done it's that been yet. great, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it it over they overlapped a couple years, and when I think whenever we realized the scope of RFP three sixty five, what we had done in Roughly six months had surpassed IFTA Plus in almost six years. I knew that the traject I knew I could see the trajectory, mm-hmm. and I knew that I had to focus full time on one of them. So your idea came through. Dave was issuing RFPs, and you were responding to right. them. Right, us through that process. Even at the time, the um, I mentioned I had this little. Soft- I had worked at VML. I had a software consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Well, anytime VML got an RFP, 
So an RFP is a request for a proposal. So it's it's a way of companies to to bid get work. So like a huge company would send an RFP to a lot of different VMLs. Mm-hmm. Um, VML would hire me and say, "Hey, Stu, uh, I need you to respond to this RFP." And I said something to the effect of, "I've done four for you. Just find the last ones and copy them onto the new one." And they said. I, how would we even know that you had done this before? That was a different manager. These are these are Word documents on a hard drive. Um, and then I realized that you know they were paying me to write these, and then all that money and knowledge that were that I was giving them just got lost. And all this knowledge was just locked up into a document. And this was just blowing my mind that this incredibly sophisticated software company couldn't solve, like break this, or they didn't had no solution for this. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Dave was working for another consulting firm, and they were issuing out RFPs, and there was no software. They're like, you know, how do we evaluate this? How do we know the right vendor? What questions to write? There was nothing around that process. Mm-hmm. And so they got paid just an astronomical amount of money to come up with a one-time-use Excel spreadsheet to evaluate responses to find, you know, something for Halliburton, I think it was. And then we were just talking about it, and we're like, this just seems crazy. And this is such an arcane process of mm-hmm. – Microsoft Word and Excel are not shouldn't be the transfer mechanisms of information and evaluation and reusability. Mm-hmm. And so we just said, "This is crazy. Let's just go figure it out." Okay, so you did that, and we did. And what was Dave? Dave quit his job, or did he? Um, yeah, I worked on it for about six to nine months, and then Dave quit his job. And then, um, you know, I think this was a bigger leap for Dave because he had never really been in the entrepreneurial world at all. He came from Sprint. He was a teacher. He was in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd been in consulting firms. And so for him, it was, a, we went to the UMKC e-scholars program as well. And that was kind of a, you know, a boost for him, uh, in terms of like, um, confidence and seeing that this isn't that scary of a, of you a lose all your stability and you kind of just right. and give so, it a shot. Yeah. So, so the problem was really combating the problem of making RFPs easier for both sides. And you had a mission to, to do that correctly and leverage innovation and technology to simplify the process and to empower people to focus more time and energy back on what matters, their business. I think RFPs, I mean, honestly, we get a lot too in the PR, media, crisis comms, public affairs, government sector, and uh, I mean, they just stink. I'll just put it out there. Yeah. They, they, they're just whenever, um, you know, when you get new business on referrals, it's always nice. But whenever there's something like that, a lot of people just don't even fill them out. You have so much you have to provide that it's... So That's it's interesting. Proprietary. I yeah, just well, like why even waste your time? Whenever I, whenever we mention like to a group, hey, raise your hand if you've done an RFP, and I, I, most of the people, depending on on the group, will raise their hand. And I said, keep your hands up if you like them, and like <laughs> everyone puts their hands down. Like they evoke a visceral reaction because people hate them. Yeah, they hate them so much that anything that we can do to make them easier is welcomed and appreciated. And so, for example, if you respond to a lot of RFPs, if you've done you know four or five in our system we can predictively try and auto answer them for you because we can say, Hey, you've answered something in the past similar to this. Just go and answer everything that we think that, you know, and so we can take a swipe of the entire RFP and just take care of 40 or 50% of every question done. Really? Yeah, you're done because we have a ton of search algorithms. We have a ton of, um, some machine learning, some AI built in that is getting smarter and smarter that says, Hey, this is, this is similar to what you've answered in the past, I'm going to go and just mark it. And then you can go and review those, but we um, continually try and make it easier for people to respond based on how you've done it in the past. Interesting. And then if you're sending them out to everyone, very similar, like how do I get, how do I compare the answers back to know quantitatively who 
is the right vendor. The job, yeah. So, I mean, what some of the, the early on success stories we had, we were Kansas City, Missouri as an innovation program, and we were the very first company that um, was in the program for Kansas City. Hmm. So they look we were around. being innovative. I like that. Yeah, and so um, Kansas City, Missouri, municipalities send out anything over, like I think it's $10,000 worth that they buy has to go out for bid, and they use an RFP process to do it, and they use our platform to do it. And so, um, so they use your platform. Does that mean I'm filling it out on your platform or does that mean they just evaluate it? My no, RFP they, they create the questionnaire, the RFP in our platform. They distribute it electronically to everyone. The, the vendors come back into our platform and respond. Hmm. So it never leaves our platform. There are no documents. I mean, unless there's attachments or pricing, you can attach any kind of file, but all the data is within our platform. Um, and then the, all the evaluation happens in our platform. And even there, I think their first trial RFP that they had, they got sued because one of the losers said this was not a fair process. And they spit out one report that quantitatively showed the, how the evaluation process happened and the, drop, and the lawsuit was dropped. Wow. That was on the trial. And they were like, sign us up, please. Stuart Ludlow is with us from RFP 365. Yeah, this has been implemented in a range of industries and is now supporting over 23,000 users in over 500 organizations across four continents. I'm sure uh-huh. that number goes off every day. That's that's pretty amazing yeah. that you guys built this just less than six years ago, started this business. Yeah. I mean, I think looking back, uh, there's a lot of like critical turning points. One of the biggest turning points and success stories we've had, especially as a Kansas City success story, was uh, when it was still, I think it was just me and Dave were sitting in flip-flops, shorts, and a hat in the startup village. And I didn't know who the heck you were. I'm like, is we, this guy for real? We, I'm walking no. in a suit and tie out well, of, locked, out of a political locked, thing or something. Lo- oh. you're, like, you're like, hey, little did I know that this guy was changing the world. Well, we had Lockton come over. So, uh, four people from Lockton came over in suit and ties, and they're like, um, no, we're, we're, we do a ton of RFPs. Is, is this the right place? And we're like, yes. <laughs> so Lockton has been um, almost from a very early day a very big supporter of us they've heavy users and then they keep saying hey well this is great but we need we also talk to clients not just vendors can you help us with that and so locked in has really allowed us to take deep dives into their processes and then so that way we can just expand our software into more and more large enterprise companies and so i mean just in terms of kansas city locked in has been a, just a, a huge advocate of ours amc theaters is a heavy user of oh, ours. cool Great company. Um, VML was. Um, we have DSI. We have. How have you guys grown the company? How have you gotten all of these new companies to yeah, join you? That's in a, four continents, 500 different people, 23,000. Yeah. We have um, historically, um, when you're small, we did a fundraising round late 2014, early 2015, and we did a seed round then. And that gave us a little ability to hire some marketing. So because we couldn't hire a huge sales staff, We've relied completely on inbound marketing. So content marketing, um, we don't do virtually zero pay-per-click. So it's all about content marketing, thought leadership, um, which is like, you know, blogs, ebooks. So you're doing a lot of those. Tons. If like we're, we follow, we hook, line, and sink or followed the HubSpot model, which HubSpot is all about inbound, con, in, inbound marketing. And so just recently we're like, we're in another fundraising round right now. Um, and we've grown the company from the original seed round a couple of years ago. We now have roughly 35 employees full-time. Um, 23 of those, I think, are W-2, and about 12 are full-time contractors. Amazing. Um, and so we've been able to you know, expand the marketing team, and we now have a fairly robust sales organization. And so, so now it's not just relying upon inbound leads. It's, we, we're going out and targeting um, 
industries to which we we really want to own. It's pretty amazing how you guys have done it. I'm I'm, I'm jotting down notes. What's your? Uh, I've got a minute left with you yeah. today, Stuart. What, what's your uh, best advice for those listening who are starting a company or and haven't really experienced the the highs that you have yet and are kind of thinking, man, should I throw in the towel or not? Um, I I think it's easy to talk about the highs. I think it's very easy to not to discuss the lows because for every high, there is an equal and opposite low at some point that's happened, and so. I would just know that the expectation of the lows is that um, you have to just keep pushing forward and eventually the lows will change into highs. Mm-hmm. Um, especially once you hit the um, Jason Grill radio show <laughs> and you've hit the pinnacle. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, right. Hey, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're in a special no, company but, now. You're, you're going to get more hits now because I'm yeah. going to link to you. <laughs> the idea is that uh, as, as a founder, you have to change faster than your company and faster than your employees change. And so, you know, for me being a software engineer, the notion of me that was my first job, and then I managed a software team, and then I managed a product, and now I manage, you know, a product that spans marketing, sales, support, engineering, and now I'm moving up into the exact like that. My change has happened faster than our product and faster than our company. If you're not willing as a founder to make that change mm-hmm. and to give up the thing that you loved the most, and maybe the the, the role you did as a, as an initial um, creator, then you will not succeed. I like that advice. RFP365, RFP365.com. Check it out. Stuart Ludlow, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. We'll be right back on Girl Nation. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Hello and welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I appreciate you joining us again today on 980 AM KMBZ. And if you're listening today on iTunes via podcast, I appreciate you joining us uh, as well there. And also, if you're listening on GrillNationShow.com, appreciate you joining us there as well. Again, want to thank our partners and supporters of the Grill Nation show. Our title sponsors of the show are Trust, MoBank, BOK Financial, and Two West Companies, and Ryan Rink. Contributors to the show are the Kansas City Area Development Council, KCADC, Brian Sarf from Two Wealth and Company. He's a guest host and on-air contributor. And the Rieger and Jay Rieger and Co. Ryan Maybe, guest host and on-air contributor. Bunch of great companies here in the region and uh, appreciate their support of the Grill Nation show. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. And you can find me on all social media platforms. Just search for my name, Jason Grill. On our next segment, uh, happy to have with us on the phone from, I believe he's calling in from uh, Columbia, St. Louis, somewhere east. I have to ask him that when he comes on. Uh, we have Jeff Mazer, who's the executive director, director at Launch Code. I met Jeff many years ago uh, when I was an elected official working in politics, and uh, he is a uh, established nonprofit and public affairs professional who is uh, very well known here in the state and also uh, has a, a law degree from Georgetown University. Uh, let's bring on Jeff Mazer to the Grill Nation show. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you on. It's, so uh, I, it's it's great to have you on. Are you calling from Columbia or are you in St. Louis today? I'm in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri today. There you go. So there you go. So um, tell us a little about yourself. You, uh, you're you not originally from Missouri, uh, but you came here, what, in in. Af- for college, is that what it was? Yeah, I did. I came here uh, to uh, a place I know we both love deeply, the University of Missouri, Columbia, for uh, my undergraduate studies. I came here from New Jersey. I grew up at the Jersey Shore, and 
uh, you know, 17 years old, came out to start my college career to Mizzou, and um, in some way, shape, or form, I've been highly attached to the state of Missouri and Columbia and uh, and all things Missouri, Kansas City, for that matter, uh, in the period since. So it's become very much a home here in the state, and uh, really grateful for that. Yeah, it's funny how people come here and then they never leave, right? <laughs> it is, man. It, you know, I mean, New Jersey, uh, there's a lot of good things about it, but um, people can be a little coarse. Uh, in New Jersey, and that's why I love many of them. But uh, you come to the Midwest and places like Kansas City and St. Louis and Columbia, and there's a warmth to people that uh, you get used to, and it's a hard thing to to move away from once you've spent a little time in it. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. Jeff, you started your career out in um, in politics as a, a volunteer coordinator, and also uh, working in D.C. Uh, with different organizations and on the Hill. Sure. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so um, I. Uh, you know, really while I was in college at Mizzou, got a little bit of the government and politics bug. I had the opportunity to go and spend the summer after my sophomore year in college in Washington, D.C., uh, interning for a lobbying firm there. and saw a little bit about how all that worked and what it was about, and really it interested me. And so um, after I graduated from Mizzou, headed out to D.C. to go to law school there and also to tinker around, to intern on Capitol Hill, ultimately do some work there and make my way into the campaign space uh, uh, from that work. But but working on Capitol Hill and learning issues and just seeing how uh, the wheels of the federal legislature turn and, and how government works close up, I think was a really compelling thing for me. And that's part of what sent me down the road towards making um, government and policy and politics to a degree a part of my uh, career as I went further down the line, wound up moving from D.C. to uh, to Missouri, as you said, and, and spent, you know, the better part of my um, career before I came to Launch Code working um, in the labor movement, working on campaigns, helping issue campaigns, um, spent a little time working as uh, for an elected official here for the first two years of Governor Jay Nixon's administration. I was a senior aide in his office, and so I uh, spent a lot of time just um, seeing what makes Missouri tick in terms of its politics, its elections its policy, and, um, and you know, really getting to know a lot of people uh, from all different backgrounds, from all different parts of the state, from many different political ideologies, uh, and that was certainly an education, and I think it's something that is uh, deeply ingrained in me now, even as I've, I've, for the last few years, moved out uh, of the political realm and, uh, and started to do other things in the nonprofit sector. You definitely have. Uh... Jay Nixon once told me that when I saw him after I got out of office at the Kauffman Foundation, we had him speak. He said, every time I see a former politician or somebody that's out of office or who is out of the arena, they they look healthier, happier, and wealthier than they did before I saw them. He told me that. And I was like, well, there you go. So that's that's positive to hear. (laughs) Yeah. If you've seen the governor lately, you know that holds true. Uh, uh, It might have been his wisdom, but it certainly held true for him. You see the guy now, he's lost lost some weight, and he looks healthy and happy and he's got a, a glow about him uh so look at that i think he's he's reaping the benefits of that bit of uh wisdom right now i tell you what uh that's uh, that's so funny so jeff uh you uh you transitioned out of of public sector uh work in 2015 it looks like how the heck did you why did you do that and 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 how did you find out about uh launch code i know it was just starting around that time is that right or it was 2013 uh, yeah. when it started, but you joined it in 2015. Yeah. Exactly. I, I came on board. Uh, the organization was about uh, two years old at the time. But, um, you know, it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing. Uh, like I said, I, I had 
spent this time in politics and government, and you meet a bunch of people. And one of the people who um, I had the good fortune, in part because I knew her, but in large part because my wife had worked for her, um, uh, was Robin Carnahan, who uh, obviously was Secretary of State in Missouri for a couple of terms. And, um, you know, before I uh, um, – it was in 2015, and Robin actually called up, and she said, hey, there's this organization that uh, on which I, I'm on the board of directors, and they do really cool stuff. They teach people to code. They have a, a really um, interesting business model that's about um, teaching people to code for free and getting them jobs and software developers and really trying to um, innovate in the industry. And, you know, they're looking to fill this role. They, they want somebody to um, go out and help spearhead this federal grant opportunity to help the organization expand to some new markets around the U.S., and they don't really have the right person on the team right now. And, you know, I think you might have the right uh, skill set to, to be effective in a role like that. And so, you know, I, I guess I was probably kind of skeptical. I was aware of the organization at the time, but didn't really have a, a full sense for um, the enormity of the project and what they were doing. But I just took the opportunity to talk to the people who ran the organization at the time. A guy named Brendan Lind was the executive director and really fascinating and brilliant young guy. And, um, you know, I started talking to him about, what the organization was looking to accomplish, what the vision was for how the organization could expand and provide these services to new markets around the country. And, and that was really wound up being a compelling vision to me and something that I wanted to uh, be involved with, even at the cost of you know, picking up the family and moving from mid-Missouri to St. Louis and um, giving up a, a job that, that I very much loved and enjoyed and felt I was good at. Um, but, but the things that were hanging out there, the opportunities that Launch Code um, was putting forward were really just so interesting that it was something I felt like I really had to do almost. And, and so, you know, in 2015, um, um, I came over uh, and started work at that time for Launch Code as the director of public partnerships. And really, I was going out um, to uh, find partners in cities all around the U.S. Uh, for purposes of building um, grant application partnerships for these federal grant dollars that the Obama administration was going to be giving out for purposes of building alternative pathways into technology careers, a very close fit for what LaunchCode was doing. So used that time and that first six months of my work there, really focused on this project and went out and built coalitions with, you know, 13 different coalitions in 12 different cities all across the U.S., from from L.A. to Boston to Atlanta to Houston. Um, and it was a really unique thing. And ultimately, that was a, a process which helped LaunchCode expand uh, to a couple more markets, um, and and that was really what kick-started my time with the organization. From there, I uh, uh, took on a little larger role as just overseeing all partnerships for the organization, and then uh, in August of last year, my uh, my predecessor left the organization, and uh, it was my opportunity to step into the role as executive director, and it's been um, it's been fortunate for me. It's uh, I view it largely as uh, luck having a, a, a large part of uh, of what's happened, but really over the course of the last year, year and a half, we've seen um, substantial growth for the organization. My, my time as executive director has coincided with um, a period of, uh, of real success and, and enhanced stability uh, for an organization that's just now five years old. So that's been very exciting. And while it was a very, uh, I think, you know, like, like any change that you make in life or career, uh, it's a little bit of a nerve-wracking thing. But um, I couldn't, in retrospect, have made a, a better decision to come and be a part of uh, something that's really changing a lot of people's lives, and, and it's been very successful. We have about a minute and a half left in this segment, Jeff. Um, give our listeners an elevator pitch on what Lunch Code is, and we'll, we'll really dive deeper into it in our segment after yeah. the break. Yeah, absolutely. So America uh, has a huge, huge problem with the tech talent gap. There are literally 
hundreds of thousands of technology jobs that are unfilled today, and it costs employers a heck of a lot of money. They can't find people. The traditional channels that are producing people for these roles just don't create enough people in order to fill the growing number of technology roles, particularly in the software development space. And so launch code exists to help fill that gap. And um, two primary ways we do that. One is by providing free, accessible, uh, job-focused training in coding. We teach people to code. We teach them for free. We teach them in a way that they can access, uh, in a way that many people haven't had a chance to access before. And then the other piece is job placement and apprenticeship, uh, tools for connecting people who have skills, even if they don't have typical credentials, connecting those people to employers who need them and making those employers feel comfortable about hiring somebody from uh, an unfamiliar or, or alternative channel. Uh, that's really the theory behind LaunchCode. And today, we've used that to help you know more than 1,400 people start uh, careers as software developers. So really, I feel like we're moving the needle in a bunch of places on, on closing that tech talent gap. The website is launchcode.org. Uh, LaunchCode has been featured in Fast Company, on NPR, in the Wall Street Journal, and on TechCrunch. Um, they work with over 500-plus employer partners as well. Some include VML here, which is located here in Kansas City and throughout the world, MasterCard, Boeing, uh, and many others. LaunchCode is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can find out more, again, at launchcode.org. Um, Jeff, when we get back from the break, I want to talk more about some of the success stories, some of the what you guys are looking forward to doing in the future, and just uh, d- dive in deeper about how people can get involved with uh, Launch Code and, and Kansas City as well. You're listening to the Grill Nation Show here on 980 AM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. Appreciate you joining us again today, as always, on 980 AM or via podcast on iTunes or at grillnationshow.com, where you can find information about all of our guests, show sponsors, and all of our podcasted shows. We're talking to Jeff Mazer, who's the executive director of Launch Code. Uh, the website is launchcode.org. Land your dream job in technology. Launch Code matches you with world-class learning resources and job opportunities to help you launch your career in technology. Uh, an amazing company based here in Kansas, based here in, in Missouri, and uh, it's being utilized all throughout the United States. Uh, Jeff, for our listeners who might just be joining us, give us a, a quick overview again about what Lutchco does uh, each and every day. Yeah, sure. So we're really focused on on helping people fill the tech talent gap. Uh, really, one of the most critical ways is by leveling the playing field where it comes to how people get skills to step into technology jobs. Uh, you know, the traditional model was for somebody to become a software developer was basically they had to go and get a four-year degree, often in computer science or maybe some sort of engineering field. And as we know, uh, the uh, four-year degree is not getting any cheaper, and there's an awful lot of people for whom that barrier is just too high a bar. And that cuts, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the U.S. off from being able to access these jobs when there's a huge need for them. So what LaunchCode says is let's figure out a way to solve that problem by making high-quality coding training accessible to people by making it free. And so one of the key things we do is we hold and run these large-scale classes, usually 125 to 150 learners per class. They're 20 weeks long, and it's part-time. So people are spending about six hours a week in the classroom uh, in the evenings, uh, and 15, 12 to 15 hours a week doing work outside the classroom. And 
over the course of that 20 to 28 weeks, they are going from basic, basically ground zero to a level of skill and readiness that prepares them for an entry-level job as a junior developer. So um, we take people, we bring them into this class, we, we use a community-based um, process of teaching these people and developing them skill that will allow them to go from whatever they're doing today, sometimes it's unemployment, sometimes it's work in part-time or low-wage jobs, and step into a, a job that you know, uh, is going to start in the range of fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year, but very quickly puts people in a position to earn upwards of seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year once they've got a little experience under their belt. So, um, providing that training, that high quality job focused training, is really a core part of what LaunchCare does uh, in Kansas City, um, in St. Louis, in Miami, in Tampa, in soon in Memphis and Washington D.C. Um, it's really central to what we do. That that opportunity to open a door to someone who knows they want to be involved in tech, knows they have an aptitude for it, but has not been able to access skills is really a key piece of the launch code puzzle. So uh, that's a big part. And the other piece that you mentioned is we work with a bunch of employer partners. We know and we develop relationships with employers out there who are hurting because of this tech talent gap. Um, Many of them have hundreds of unfilled jobs, particularly large employers, uh, because there simply aren't, isn't the volume of people coming out of the traditional channels uh, to fill the jobs that are open today. And so we go to employers, and in, in Kansas City, we've got a, a, a whole passel of great employers there. Uh, you mentioned VML before. They've been a, a fantastic employer partner, but um, companies like Ad Astra and Pay It and Topbox and Commerce Bank and the Kansas City Federal Reserve, for that matter, all are companies, uh, to name just a few, that um, have identified launch code as a key way to bring in and to build a new pipeline of junior technology talent. You know, they see what's happening out there on the field uh, about, you know, just there not being enough people to fill the gap, and they recognize that launch code is bringing a whole new universe of people into the space that they can tap into uh, to really help uh, drive their technology talent needs. Uh, so that's the um, slightly longer version of what we're doing every day. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, I think before the break, that you know, these are models that we've helped now 1,400-plus people use to step into uh, technology careers, and we see uh, people advancing to new heights in their career because of some skills they got over a 20-week program that, that they didn't pay anything for. And we mm-hmm. think that's a pretty uh, a pretty fantastic way to help solve this problem. Sure it is. Uh, Launch Code is really two things, the best way to get a job in tech and the best way to attract new talent. That was uh, Jim McKelvey. He's the co-founder of Square, also uh, founder of Launch Code, and also now is he's on the board of directors uh, over at Launch yeah. Code. Uh, your board leadership, quite a quite a great group of people, but um, that's pretty cool, right? He's an established yeah. entrepreneur and has been successful. Yeah, I mean, that's really the genesis story for, for Launch Code in many ways is that he got the, uh, the bug to start LaunchCode as a solution to a problem that he saw in business. You know, he was um, in the process of um, founding Square, a mobile payment sum- uh, system company, and he wanted to build a software development office for Square here in St. Louis, where he was from, and he started hiring people away from other companies and even stealing people and doing everything he could. He still couldn't add talent at a rate that was sufficient to allow the company to grow at the pace he wanted it to grow. And so ultimately, that forced their hand. They had to move that shop from St. Louis out to San Francisco, where the rest of the company lives. And, you know, that was would have been a lot of jobs, a lot of uh, opportunity in St. Louis that could have happened through Square, uh, but for lack of talent. And he, he saw that as a problem that he could solve. He, Jim views himself very much as an inventor who solves things, uh, who builds things to solve problems. And he said, hey, I think we can solve that problem through launch code. So he 
started up a nonprofit, and uh, you know, five years later now, uh, he's he's demonstrated pretty conclusively that this is a, a great way to help solve problems like the one Square was facing all those years ago. If you go to the website launchcode.org there, and you want to you want to start doing this, you want to start learning how to code, you want to you take your uh, career to the next level. Uh, there's a 10 second assessment on there, Jeff. I mean, it's pretty simple if you go to launchcode.org to get more information. Uh, and if you're a person who's looking into this and you can do this right here in Kansas city, correct? That's right. Yeah. We've got a class running right now. Great class. We're grateful for, uh, our partners, Rockhurst university that's, uh, allowing us to use their space to deliver our LC 101 class there in Kansas city. And we pretty much have one going in Kansas city all the time. So we will open up, uh, applications intermittently for people to apply and go through that application process. But um, uh, we also provide opportunity in Kansas City for people who've learned in other places but haven't had an opportunity to bootstrap that skill into an actual career path job. People who have skill can come to Launch Code and go through our assessment, and then we can uh, uh, connect you with one of our employer partners through our apprenticeship process, help you get your career started that way, even if you didn't learn through Launch Code. So a lot of different ways and places for people uh, to come into Launch Code and have it help their career along. Jeff Mazer, you're on Twitter at jmaz. You got to get got Twitter it. following, don't you? You you, you tweet about well, everything from Mizzou football to to politics to entrepreneurship to coding to uh, what's hot and what's trending. Man, you you, you do it all over there. Uh, hey, I try my best, Jason. It's a it's a losing <laughs> battle sometimes, particularly on the Mizzou sports stuff. Seems like one step forward, <laughs> two steps back some days, but hey, I'm keeping after it. So you also have a blog on there. There's ways that people can donate. There's ways that people, that companies can get involved and, and, and try to find some of these skilled workers. I know in Kansas City, we've had um, KC Tech Council and other groups on that really kind of highlight how much tech talent, how many jobs there are here in Kansas City, and how they just can't fill them fast enough. So I think I think launchco.org is obviously uh, under uh, you as the executive director is making moves to help alleviate that problem. Jeff, what's it feel like right now to not be working on campaigns in election season? <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. I talk to and hear from all my friends who are in the thick of it, knocking doors and in that final crunch. And uh, I'm obviously not an entirely disinterested observer, Jason, but it feels good not to have to be out there um, living and dying with every moment of it. I'm sure you feel the same. Oh, yeah, I definitely do. But it's uh, it's nice to be on the outside looking in and then also have a role in some things but not have to to work on campaigns 24-7. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see how those elections go. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Jeff Mazer has been our guest. He is uh, calling in today from St. Louis. He's the executive director of Launch Code. The website is launchcode.org. Uh, Jeff, congrats on all your success, man, and uh, you're welcome to come back on the show anytime if you have any new news about Launch Code to share. We'll definitely do that, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to the Grill Nation show. We'll be back again next week. Hope you enjoyed the show today here on 980 AM KMBZ and also at grillnationshow.com. We'll see you next week. Take care.